Graham Goodwin. It is just shortly before the Rolex 24 Daytona is meant to take place. Opening IMSA's 2021 season, the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. We have other series running at Daytona right now. The IMSA Prototype Challenge cars been on track. We've had MX-5s. We have Michelin Pilot Challenge. We've got all kinds of good stuff. But what are we going to do this week with our week in sports cars? As I open the show with a bit of Department of Redundancy Department words, we're going to preview the Rolex 24 as best we can. We do thank those of you who listen frequently and submit questions frequently, who read Graham's instructions in the call for questions where he said we will only be focusing on the Rolex 24, and despite that, sent in stuff wanting to know about the European Le Mans series and Love you. SRO, and hey, no need to, we assume if you don't read what we write, you probably don't listen to what we say, which is all good. I don't list any of the nonsense either, but I'm Marshall Pruitt. That is the just a a bundle of glory with arms and legs and a wonderful mouth. Graham Goodwin, editor of DailySportsCar.com, a man who speaks knowledge and insight into microphones on behalf of the World Endurance Championship. This is our little weekly sit-down with y'all, driven by listener Q&A, brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com. We're going to save the predictions for the Rolex 24 towards the end. We might have a special guest. Once after you hear him, provided we have him on, we're going to let you define special. Uh, so there could be three of us on this show. It's an informal thing. If you haven't figured that out in the first two minutes of, of whatnot here, uh, we love sports cars. I tend to cover IMSA, North American stuff. Graham's the international guy. There's a little bit of crossover. We cross swords. We're not going to explain that either. But you know what, my man? got about an hour and a half to do this you are in the middle east right no travel no, restrictions no. everything good you're no, we've got terrible travel restrictions no I'm, I'm sitting at home i'm waiting for the call uh, to get to an airport and head towards the middle east we have got some significant issues to with travel restrictions but what i can say to um the Weekend Sports Cars audiences, the Asia Le Mans series will go ahead, and I'm not aware of a single further car other than the two absolute cars that will not be making their way from China that will not be there. Uh, whether or not we have a few people with troubles in the way remains to be seen, but I am expecting to go. I'm expecting it all to be fine and dandy, and I'm also expecting to be able to share some even uh, even more good news with you about uh, the package for the Asia Le Mans series uh, moving forward. Still here in the uh, south of England, in the dark. It's uh, about 8 o'clock in the evening on Friday, uh, my time as we record this MP. And this time, because it's the Rolex 24, because I've had my head in other things for the most part this week, I'm going to take on the role of the, how could we put this, the questionnaire, the person processing the questionage coming in to the weekend sports cars. I'm going to kick off with this Rolex 24 preview, which is going to be formed around the questions that we've got from uh, the remarkable army of questioners that uh, pop our way uh, in, in thematic style and in particular in the DPI class with what has been one of the talking points of the week following the raw test. And that is sandbagging. I've never heard it. Never heard Me about not. it. 
we've got a bundle of questions here. Uh, Rob Chalmers, Jamie Bender, Alex Eichmiller, Matt Niedert, Chris Mock, and Adam Heydrich is a name that I don't particularly recognise as a very regular questioner, but if I'm wrong, I apologise, Adam. If I'm right, welcome. Uh, all are coming along the same not kind of line. So I'll just chuck in a couple of the talking points here. Adam says, do you think the pole race cut down on sandbagging for the 24 hours? If they keep the pole race for future years, should it be awarded greater points? Uh, same time length as a full long beach race uh, let's talk about that first the pole race um Matt Nieder also comes in with um particularly action express drivers lobbying accusations in it's kind of good cop bad cop kind of stuff there alex eichmiller says as the wheeling team decided they just wanted to be the bad boys of dpi um he uh, uh, talks about pipa durani's driving in the last season felipe nazareth seems to have picked up the torch by accusing the rest of class of sandbagging at the qualifying race uh he, me personally, hashtag me personally, says he doesn't mind them playing the villain. Jamie Bender uh, says watch with curiosity um, that uh, the qualifying race as well. 2.8 seconds into the interview, Pipa Durrani says already throwing everyone on, on the bus for sandbagging, acting as if the Wheeland team... Uh, let's get into this. There's <laughs> <laughs> much, much more of this from Rob Chalmers, how much sand is currently piled up behind the BMW garages, he said in this case. That's to do with uh, GTLM, of course. But uh, in particular, the talking point here appears to be um, the pretty public accusations, and in particular from Action Express and the Whelan team, who have, at, at times, uh, done a very good job of painting themselves of the villains of the piece, but in this case, MP, are they the villains of the piece? Is this unsubstantiated um, throwing of manure in the direction, I think in particular, of the Acura guys? Or is there a story to be told? And what do we think the outturn might be? As much as young Mr. Durrani has earned scorn and, and questioning gazes based on his driving instincts at the last race of 2020. I would say there's no real reason, according to those I've spoken with and should say spoken with off the record about, as Rosie says, hello to our show. Hi, Rosie. I'll feed you a little later, sweetheart. Uh, My intel from a few sources suggests that the Cadillac driver's intimating that not everybody in the DPI class was giving it their all throughout hello again uh throughout the roll the uh, roar before the 24 was pretty accurate uh i know that of the grumblings that i have heard there's been some not super happiness from within those who utilize the Acura ARX05 i know that i've heard haven't seen but i just talking about what i've heard that is there a question as to whether the Acuras were indeed giving it their all to then have unquestionable data uh, of their outright performance capabilities it's a question mark and I think that's why you had uh, some drivers from the Cadillac camp saying uh huh yeah right now granted this isn't meant to uh cast dispersions at any one manufacturer because i can guarantee you for sure wind the clock back a year to whatever amount of time every manufacturer has done it every manufacturer there's one that 
does a better job of playing injured than the others to then lobby and plead for BOP breaks. It's just, it's a rotating game. And each year, sometimes it's consecutive where one manufacturer will be doing that each year, hoping to get a break. Sometimes another one will step up and quote lead, be the, uh, the overall winner in the BOP weakness competition. And at least from what I've heard out of Daytona, uh, our friends at Cadillac might have a point. So if I want to throw one other thing in here, maybe, I don't know if I should, but I will just talking to rumors, things that I've heard can't confirm that they're factual, but I've heard that there was a, we need to have a talk kind of meeting <laughs> called. I don't know what day it was, uh, this in the, previous days of this week, but I heard that there was some sort of impromptu meeting called with manufacturers and teams in DPI. Couldn't tell you who all was there, if it was a rep from every team or selecting it. I don't know any of that. I just know that I've heard there was a pretty stern look. Some of y'all are getting yelled at here uh, because we don't think that there was truth in performance coming out of the roar and if you look at the bop changes for the race graham there Mm -hmm. are none zero in dpi there's one little note it's an aerodynamic clarification on the cadillac side using a piece that they use anyways so truly no changes to any of the models in dpi which suggests that despite one brand being off you would have to take from that that the series looked at the data and said yeah we're not seeing uh the actual confirmation of the things you're claiming you're missing in the data maybe we're seeing you contributing to that absence of speed you say that you have so heard that there was a bit of a uh uh-uh some of y'all played and we're not playing back and also a Reminder, and I forget the rule number, Graham, but whatever it is, rule 2.3 point, whatever, the, and if you show up for the race and start performing outside the window of reasonable expectation, if you did play games and now all of a sudden are magically lots faster in the race, there are penalties waiting for you. So those things are known. They're in the rule book. But at least from what I've heard, the fact that time was taken to reiterate that leading into the Rolex 24 tells me that, uh, yeah, pretty darn serious. Well, there you go. And um, so in other words, it was not a baseless claim uh, by the Action Express guys. Shock, horror, gasp, not the villains of the piece. Um, We're going to push on through here because there's another huge story broke yesterday. And that is that, um, not the biggest surprise, but a huge story, the end of GTLM uh, at the end of this season and the start of a brand new era for the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship with GTD Pro. Uh, So effectively this, the uh, option being taken by IMSA to deal with uh, the downturn in GTLM in particular as LMDH starts to come on stream. And for those that... uh, don't understand the acronyms that is the factory based um aco rules gt class uh effectively 
dying a natural death as the manufacturers start to position themselves for the dawn of a new top class in both uh, the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship and the FI World Endurance Championship. But to deal with some of that shortfall, announcement by IMSA that this new GT3-based GTT Pro class will be coming in. number of questions about that. Do you, you want to just kick off with, just to clarify what's been said, MP? It's the start of a new class. It is confirmed that GTLM will die at the end of this season. Yeah, and since this is our Rolex 24 preview show, we're just getting a head start on the 2022 Rolex 24 <laughs> by talking about this class change. But again, it's the big news of the week leading into the Rolex 24 as we have trailed on this show so many times, I can't even begin to keep track. Graham, 77. Yes. 77 it is, yes. This is just nature. This is Darwinism. Uh, as I discussed yesterday with uh, sports car great James Weaver um, in a separate project, this is just Darwinism. It's not because GT Lamar lacks amazing awesomeness and everything here in the USA. It's just that it's a manufacturer factory based class. It's one intended designed for auto manufacturers, factory efforts, go beat up on each other, race, promote, win, do lots of positive things. Privateers have always been welcome, but the costs involved to play tended to keep independent efforts to a minimum while the factories go to war. We've seen each year, year after year, starting at the end of 2019 with Ford departing GTLM, end of 2020 with Porsche departing, BMW revising their program from full-time to part-time. We went, uh, let's just say, at the final race of 2019, we had four major auto manufacturers with two full-time entries apiece, eight cars on the grid, four brands, big peak of GTLM. That came down to three brands and six cars at the end of 2020. I know that we're starting off this new season with BMW there with two factory cars. They're only in for the endurance races. Of the 11 on the calendar, 11 overall WeatherTech Championship races, four of those are endurance, meaning at the other seven, it's going to be two Corvettes and a single privateer Porsche. Three cars for the majority of IMSA's GTLM season. Probably the... the final stake in the heart of GTLM, Graham, is -hmm. the fact that while you have been and others have been tracking, is Lamborghini coming in? Could Hyundai do a GTLM? Could name, et cetera, et cetera. There are no new GTLM factory programs anybody is aware of in the pipeline. So with the numbers down to, at least in America, right? WC, ELMS, different, but just talking here in the States, with GTLM's numbers down to three cars and only one full-time manufacturer this season and zero likelihood of new programs coming in from wherever else, IMSA recognized, they read the room and said, okay, this isn't working. Uh, they read it a while ago. This announcement this week is not something they just decided to do. It's been in development for a while. So as a result, my favorite IMSA class and I think the favorite IMSA class of probably a number of our listeners, Graham, is going away, not because we want it to, but because, boy, uh, extinction is where it was heading on its own. So we get GTD Pro coming next year. 
same GT3 cars. Uh, what did him to say? Nine manufacturers uh, that are aligned with the series that have GT3 based cars for sale to customers. Well, uh, those same manufacturers can compete in a all pro class, just like GTLM, but instead of having to build a car specific to some relatively custom rules, well, they can just use the same cars they build and sell for customers, but race it in an all pro class GT Daytona pro. Well, we're going to expand on this because it is important and it's, it doesn't quite align with the preview bit, but it, there is so much, Whenever you're at the Rolex 24 hours, there's always that those machinations behind the scenes. But And we don't, by the way, do this often, but I'm going to do it now, which is to big up a couple of interviews that you've done over the last week, uh, which have got a definite impact or potential impact in this area. One was, I think, yesterday with Mark Rushbrook from Ford, and the other was a couple of three days ago with what is going to be a new name for most listeners, Laura Wontrop-Clauser as the new Chevrolet uh, I think it's GM, actually, Sports Car Program Manager. Um, now, both of those have got potential impacts, those individuals, in two areas that could be very important moving forward. One is LMDH. Let's put that to one side, but let's talk about GTD moving forward. Um, I have to say, there was an awful lot in there that I think needs careful reading. There was a, a whole lot less than we'll see elsewhere of could, should, and might, and a lot of, I would suggest, positioning uh, strategies from both those interviewees. Where, what did you take from those two interviews? And in, in answering these, we've, we've had questions from Matthew License about uh, the Ford article with the Mortley conversation about potential GTD, um, from uh, Brandon Kratzer, who says, all right, Pruitt, translate what Rushbrook said about Ford and IMSA. Brian Cohen about asking whether or not Ford could upgrade the Mustang to GT3. We'll get into other uh, brands uh, elsewhere, but uh, Jordan Hotwood asking about Corvette and whether or not uh, they might sidestep, as they traditionally have at GM, the need to build 20 GT3s for full homologation. What do you think is going on with the, the, the big two? Uh, in terms of GTD Pro. And we'll come on to talk about some of the other brands as we continue the conversation. But Ford and Chevrolet in particular, MP, what do we expect? What do we know? Do we know anything? No, in terms of official public confirmation, we do not. No, behind the scenes, what we have heard and expect and had some pretty strong comments from both Laura and mark on the subject yes so again thing we've trailed thing we've said thing we've written plenty of times when we get to gtd pro next year we will indeed have corvette c8rs built to gt3 specs we don't know if those cars will be the current gtlms that are modified to gt3 regulations not building new cars just modifying or building new cars from scratch to gt3 that part we don't know we'll find out uh build new or convert one of the two would say so they're coming it's happening period in the interview with laura she said corvette racing is not going anywhere this mm-hmm. done a day or two before the gtd pro announcement she obviously couldn't say and we're going to gtd pro because it hadn't been announced yet so just understand that in the interview she said as you would rightly expect you know, we're looking, we're not 
sure where we're looking on positioning we're deciding where we're going to race but corvette racing is not going anywhere i can guarantee you brothers and sisters they are not leaving for sro america's whatever they're staying in imsa that's where they're going to be the only place they can be next year as corvette racing with their gt models is gtd pro so Mm -hmm. it's just answered itself i mentioned the build new or modify as an interesting thing to find out if they build brand new gt3 spec cars great in theory they still have their c8r gtlm models which are compliant with aco wc gte regulations and they would still have vehicles they could take to Le Mans and compete if they chose to. If they were to convert, we would say they would not have any C8Rs that comply with ACO slash WC, WEC GT regulations. The possibility of going to Le Mans would be officially turned off because they wouldn't have cars to do it with. And sure, they have old cars, but again... They're not racing old stuff. They're racing new stuff. No. So that's the thing we're keen to learn on because it'll tell us whether they do or don't continue racing at Le Mans. On the Ford side, what I loved hearing, and it was actually not something that I went in knowing Mark Rushbrook was going to be so, so excited about, and that was, hey, we make these GT4 spec Mustangs. They run in the Michelin Pilot Challenge Series, and wherever GT4 cars race, it's eligible. Hey, we'd like to do a, you know, we really like the GT3 regulations and like the idea of the Mustang racing globally uh, in GT3 since there are more places where GT3 vehicles are allowed internationally. That was the revelation from the story. I had an inkling and known that they're, we've all known they've been eyeing lmdh had heard that they could be getting more and more serious about that but that's the stuff that i knew and asked about stuff that i knew the mustang gt4 stuff was a little bit of a blind question of like hey you know you don't have that many running right now any thoughts on the future and boom so did he confirm they're doing a gt3 spec mustang graham no they did not based on the strength of his comments about the topic would we be silly to expect otherwise here in the future yeah it sounds like that might be happening so i love it and if you've got corvette and ford able to beat up on each other again in a factory based class know that he's talking customer sales he wasn't necessarily saying and we want to go race it as a factory and i'm just saying potential um i love the idea of uh, mustangs and corvettes whether it's in customers' hands or factory hands, that makes me super happy. Let, let's just expand it slightly here, because both interviews certainly did touch on the potential for LMDH. Similar question, MP. Where do we think they are at the moment on that subject? <sighs> of the things we would be silly to discount, um, on my informal who's in and who might be following behind sooner than later LMDH uh, spreadsheet, which I keep in my mind. We obviously have the three that are in so far. First was Audi, then Porsche, now Acura. Mm -hmm. I just feel like it might not be too far away where if Ford's going to do it, they'd be announcing it. And it feels pretty good like they might. I don't have any insider info. Just, you know, of the things that I've heard 
uh, rumblings and bits and pieces here and there, it sounds like they're taking a pretty serious approach to it. And if that is indeed true, I don't know if they'd be the fourth manufacturer to announce or the fifth or the sixth or whatever. But right now, I have it in my head that when we get to Daytona in 2023, we are going to see the Blue Oval and an LMDH. So um, I wouldn't put money on it yet, but uh, that's what I have in my head. I'll, I think I trailed this in the last show, and I'll mention it. I thought I was going to get it, the story done this week, but I decided to hold it because it'd get buried with everything else. And that's a, a really long process-related interview with Mazda Motorsports boss Nelson Cosgrove on the... You did? Yep. How? When? Timing? How does this need to happen for manufacturers coming into LMDH? So I'll try and get that out here soon. And in that, which I think I also trailed... He said, look, it's not like anyone can wait until this time next year to say, yeah, we're going to come join LMDH in 11 months' time. Budget-wise, development-wise, choosing choosing chassis manufacturer-wise, this is something where the Fords and the Hyundais and the Lexuses and all the other brands we've heard of as potential LMDH participants, they've got a couple of months to make a... 100% confirmation or bail on the concept altogether because after that time period, that time window, um, definitely before Le Mans, if you're waiting beyond that stage, you're probably going to be stacked up in line at the chassis constructor you would like to partner with and probably you're going to hear, sorry, uh, we're full up. You're going to have to go somewhere else. And yeah, along with engine, you know, powertrain development, all the things that have to happen. This is something where for those who can't wait to find out who's going to come play in LMDH, really, I'd give you a couple months. And while they might not announce it publicly, we know that internally, most manufacturers are going to have to have a solid answer to start working from uh, just, yeah, uh, well before Le Mans. Well, let's give, let's give you a little bit of a teaser, dear listeners, plural, because I think there's more than one of you. Um, in the past, I'd say, week or 10 days, MP, I've been doing a lot of sniffing around on the WEC side in particular, but also assisted by some of the uh, language that we've seen from yourself and others. I say this, of the prospects, because we've all got these prospect lists at the moment, of the prospect lists, my long list, if you like, um, I've sort of counted one out, and I'm not going to tell you who that is yet, um, but I'm sort of counting five to seven in that we haven't heard from yet uh, in some way, shape, or form, whether or not that's uh, uh, Le Mans Hypercar, because I believe we're going to hear about at least one more of those, um, or LMDH, and I think we're going to hear several of those. But uh, I think it is looking extremely positive right now, and I absolutely agree that even if it's not a public definition of program, the commitment is going to have to come very, very rapidly indeed because it's pretty clear that some of those chassis manufacturers are in a position now to be able to very literally pick and choose the program they wish to come forward with. I I am now very energized, very excited about the prospects for where we're going to be. The other quick thing, by the way, we mentioned it last week, MP, is that uh, I'm very interested indeed by the fact that the ACO overtly now 
are saying that they will accept LMDH from 2022 onwards as part of the hypercar class. Now, that might be that they are in possession of facts that we're not yet uh, aware of. It might be opportunistic in terms of saying to people looking for a full season in 23, come and play late season in WC and get some mileage under the wheels of those cars. Uh, but either way, we're now getting to the stage where lots of different factors are coming together to push this forward at a pace. We'll wrap, up, wrap out uh, um, um, the GTD Pro subject with uh, the charmingly named Big Wiener, who says, with GT3 Pro coming in, so how many factory teams can we expect to compete? Audi, Mercedes, maybe? Uh, we've also got a quick question about BMW. You mentioned about BMW this limited season in uh, GTLM. Dookie Davis says, with the release of the M4 GT3 last year, do you believe BMW purposefully put the chokehold on IMSA by not competing in all the races this year, therefore forced the creation of a new GT3 race class so they can campaign their new car in this premier sports car series in North America? Um, the final question is one from BMP, which is, do you see GTE Pro as being a full factory uh, formula moving forward or for some of those teams might this be a stepping stone say for instance with someone like Audi or Porsche to ramp up a full factory effort to move on to LMDH in 23 I don't see it as a ramping effort brother to LMDH the thing that I am unsure about at this moment with GTD Pro is I expect Corvette to be there. I expect BMW to be there. Factory level stuff. I expect those mm -hmm. two. I can think of maybe a few others that would participate. I'm unclear as to how many manufacturers will say, okay, cool. Well, GTLM was too much, too costly, too everything. But hey, if we can take our Mercedes AMG GT3 or whatever and send over name the awesome factory drivers uh, that you love most at within that brand. We're going to commission that. I, I think it's going to be an easier sell. I just don't know how many will or would drawing back to your point of LMDH. Well, a Porsche factory GTD pro effort. Well, they left GTLM pro class because, well, for a couple of reasons, but said, Hey, and we're coming back quickly just in a couple of years but in prototypes would they then say oh, well okay we're gonna do a factory gt thing again too at the same time i don't know if that fits i'd love it we'd love it same with audi right we haven't seen a factory audi season-long campaign in gt racing here since what uh 1989 uh, i don't know it's been a long just we can run down the list and say, yeah, okay, yeah. It, hey, if Lexus were to do LMDH, would they still do a factory GT? Again, I don't know. I hope so. These are questions that I just need to ask manufacturer reps. And I still would say, Graham, here in January of 2021, I don't know if any of them would be able to tell us. Oh, yeah. Oh, we're there. Um, this is going to be the thing. This is the only th problematic area with this announcement and it is without you know hey ford hopefully they do a gt3 model and would it be factory we don't know but hey 
You've announced it. We don't know who else is going to show up, though. So if GTLM needed to go away because it was failing, great. But the hope in this change, by doing a new, cheaper, more accessible class for manufacturers, is it will lead to subscription that was lacking in GTLM. But as of right now, it's announced, and we mm-hmm. don't know if it's going to look much bigger than GTLM. That's what we're going to have to find out, but that's the thing that's a, a, the scary area for IMSA, you'd have to believe right now. of Please, Lord, sign up, because we don't want to yep. be the ones that killed your favorite class and <laughs> find out that maybe we should have kept it. So let's wait and see. Hashtag wait and see. Yes. But the final question is one that I'll take from Matt Hawkey Hawkins. Hello, Matt. Uh, with IMSA now confirming GTD Pro from 2022, will this push the WCACO GT classes to GTE Pro? one class instead of GTE Pro and AM. I think it will, but not to Pro. I think it'll push it to AM. I think they will take the the hit for a single season in 2022 um, to push uh, the factories towards LMDH and Le Mans Hypercar, the new hypercar class of WC. I think they're prepared to take that hit. It'll be interesting to see what their strategy will be in 2022 for GTE at the Le Mans 24 Hours. Uh, because I'm not sure we're going to have a GTE Pro class in 2022, but I'm not expecting any shortage whatsoever in prototypes for 2022, where we're going to see, I think, a final explosion in, in LMP2 as people prepare for what I expect to be a spectacular class at the top end in 2023. Next one is we've had uh, a little bit on, on DPI, We've had a little bit on GTLM, uh, not so much on GTD yet, but LMP3, the class making its uh, debut at the Rolex 24 this year. And um, lots of questions about LMP3 and GTLM. Uh, Matt Nita and uh, Baxter, our friend Andrew Baxter, uh, Dan Rice as well, talking about LMP3 and GTLM pace being very similar. Dan uh, saying uh, with LMP3 cars mingling in with GTLM times, this is what IMSA had in mind by adding a fifth class. And Baxter saying, how did IMSA not predict the pace of LMP3 cars would require a split race start? Should IMSA go back to the LMS rules, starts cars only by qualified time instead of ordering by the intended class pace? And Matt Nieder says, now we've seen the five-class IMSA WeatherTech field on track for the first time in race conditions. Looking at lap times and sector times, at least at Daytona, there is very little difference between GTLM, pro-driven LMP3 and AM-driven LMP2 cars. Everyone running around 143 dry conditions. Do you anticipate changes for POP? We now know that for Rolex 24 to break more of a, a gap. Um, me personally, he says, hashtag me personally, would attempt to slow LMP3 by reducing revs, possibly reducing power, try and maintain top speed. What do we think, MP? Has this been a surprise? Is it a problem? What do we think we're going to see during the race? Wow. The answer to all, yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is one of those things where I hope it doesn't come across as an excuse. It's not meant to be. I really wish I could be at Daytona and in the paddock like normal to be up close and looking at things and talking with lots of folks who I normally see face-to-face who aren't necessarily um, readily accessible by phone, meaning mm-hmm. you know, managers and team owners and such and manufacturer reps 
uh, they tend to be more available because they're in managerial roles. They set things in it's place. They're not necessarily getting hands dirty and busy, you know, working hurriedly at all times. The engineers, the mechanics, uh, even some drivers at times, they tend to give you a lot of insights that uh, you, it, it's Is harder that, to get also, remotely. Does that also include, by the way, Marshall, people that know your phone number and choose to ignore it? Well, if it weren't for my burner phone collection, uh, I would say yes. So what I've heard, and I just mentioned that because I'm having to use the what I've heard compared to what I've seen and know firsthand, uh, is yes, IMSA has put basically a bit of a governor on the LMP3 cars, limiting their top speed, uh, speaking with what some GT... D drivers, they've said it's been very strange getting to the end of long straights and they're normally accustomed to prototypes blowing by or, you know, uh, dive bombing them under braking. And, you know, I've heard from a couple who've said it's a little strange to be bombing down, you know, on the banking long straight, getting towards whatever and looking over and seeing whomever it is in an LMP3 car. And you're both kind of staring at each other, chugging along at the same top speed because this prototype, these prototypes can't actually uh, do big, impressive numbers. Um, I mean, I'm looking at, at the fastest laps, at least, coming out of the, the morning or the final warm-up for the race, and where we would say general race pace is what uh, was being attempted by teams and you know, what do we have for the fastest GTLM? A uh, 142.5, uh, that being by, again, duh, a pro driver. Well, if we look at the fastest LMP3 lap, this being a pro driver, uh, Jaron Bleekamolen, for goodness sake, about a half second off of that GTLM car. Behind him, some other pro, mostly pro, super talented drivers, and they are fluctuating between high 43s low 44s are a couple who are considerably off but to the point here yeah uh, if we're talking if both cars accelerated away from a dead stop and completed a lap their lap times would be very very similar between gtlm lmp3 uh gtd definitely a couple seconds slower than p3 but I think as we discussed last week, Graham, maybe the week before, these vehicles, other than the aforementioned top speed aspect, they do make their performance in very different ways. And so cornering capabilities of an LMP3 car, braking capabilities, uh, certainly an area where I don't foresee catastrophic collision of speeds and lack of separation when we're talking pro LMP3 drivers in the machines going up against, obviously, pro lineups and GTLM, barring uh, Cooper McNeil. I would say, though, that whether the cars were close on lap time or not, there are some LMP3 drivers who are more, they are AMI, AM, AM, AMI. They're ammunition. Um, Whatever foibles and tripping over of oneself that we saw back in the day with some of the how on earth did you get licensed to drive an LMP3 car uh, type folks, there are some who we know their LMP3 races are going to end prematurely, and it's because of decisions made behind the steering wheel that were not befitting of someone who probably should have been there. Uh, we could even say that in LMP2 as well, Graham. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to see some who, yeah, they signed up for a 24-hour race. 
uh, yeah, they're going to be going home before the end of 24 hours simply because, oh, wow. <laughs> hey, it's cool that you got the ride. Uh, it's cool that maybe you pay for the whole thing and bought the car and own everything. Great. Oh, so on the how close they run and lap times being similar, eh, I don't think that's going to be a big deal when we have quality drivers behind the wheel. Um, after those drivers are out, then we're just talking some of the normal kind of mistakey stakes that can spice up 24 hour racing for those who are watching, not having to pay for the crash damage. Uh, so how many, uh, another quick question goes from Rob Ball. How many, uh, cars we think are going to make it. Daniel Summerskill makes his, astonishingly, his first appearance on the show. Um, how many LMP3 cars do we think will get to the finish of the Rolex 24? And of those who do, how many will do so without spending hours in the pits saving the cars? Hashtag me personally. Uh, Daniel says it wasn't good optics in the raw to see half the LMP3 field parked with significant time remaining. Rob says, what's our over-under on the number of LMP3 cars we expect to complete the race the week- this weekend. After seeing one entry not participate in the qualifying race and three others having issues during it, his take is maybe one or two will make it the way home. Is this LMPC for 2021? I would expect as many as zero LMP3s <laughs> to be running at the finish. This is a bet, actually. I don't know who the Ooh. bet's with. Um, maybe it's with myself. I expect zero of them to finish. Unl- well, let me rephrase that. I expect zero LMP3s to be running uninterrupted for 24 hours. Could some major thing explode, break, fall off, or otherwise a team miss half the race and come back out for the last couple laps? Of course. But I'm talking about, are there any cars in the LMP3 class that will take the green flag and reach the checkered flag without having to spend considerable amount of time, not on pit lane, but in the pits? I'm sorry, not on, not in, I don't even know what I'm saying, back in the garages. Uh, yep. I think that number is going to be zero. And it's not because any of the constructors do a bad job or Nissan's V8s, but none of those things. We just know these cars aren't built, were never built, never meant to do 24-hour endurance races. There have been modifications to, in some areas to improve some things. Uh, what, there was a bulletin about teams can put insulators over the coil packs. Great, I hope that helps, but again, it's like just for this race. You go, cool. Ah, wow, this is just further proof of the little ticky tack all right here's a couple things we're going to try and do to get you to the finish other than driving slowly and babying the vehicles the entire time we just know that other than those who've taken them to the 25 hours of thunder hill and maybe i'm forgetting somewhere else um, uh, the uh, substance 24 we had one okay um and even then <laughs> we're not talking about vehicles that ran 24 25 hours oh, no, uninterrupted so, again, not picking on the cars, the class, the constructors. None of it is meant to be critical. This is asking a class that was never designed for this to start its freaking life and season uh, at this event. It's non-points, which is great, so no one's going to have negative championship ramifications from it. But, yeah, so based on history alone, my expectation is zero. 
but of course, this is something I'm going to be watching as closely as possible because it's a fascinating thing to see. Did someone do it? And if they did, they better wheel them into victory lane first because we will know Jesus is Lord and has come back to earth and decided wasn't poverty, wasn't sickness. I decided a LMP3 car had to make it all the way to the end of the Rolex 24 Daytona. Well, just to round out the LMP3 bit, Bill Gray says he's not convinced moving the LMP3s into the Rolex 24 was a great idea for a variety of reasons. He asks MP, do you see IMSA sticking with the five-glass grid after the GT regulations are updated for 2022? He says it's great to see 49 cars on the grid, but this feels a little forced. Have asked that question and been told, reminded, that in the announcement of LMP3's elevation to the WeatherTech Championship, it was announced as a multi-year endeavor. So that would have, unless there is a change of heart, and I've asked, hey, if you get some better numbers in other classes and you don't need LMP3 to help bolster your entries at the majority of the races this year, could you turn it off at the end of the year? And was told, what, there was no yes, maybe it's pot. It was we announced it's multiple years. That's what we're planning to do. And so again, unless there's some sort of grand reversal, I think we're going to have LMP3 for at least a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Well, we will hashtag wait and see, and that's also, of course, going to be um, well determined in terms of how what the numbers might look. Number one, how well it goes in year one, and number two, just how well GTD Pro takes off for 2022. Let's move on, and some thoughts about the qualifying race uh, come forward. This was already a uh, controversial uh, aspect of the the Raw weekend. Dan, Daniel Summersgill, uh, Kevin Perez, Federico, uh, Daniel Summersgill again, Ryan Terpstra. All they're all out tonight on this one. Um, was is basically asking, what's the point, really? Daniel says, what did you think of the Raw race? Hashtag me personally did nothing for him. Most drivers seem to be going through the motions. Few battles, except briefly on MP2, would have been better to do something radical, like a hyper-pole type deal rather than a qualifying race. Kevin uh, says, do you think they'll continue doing a sprint race qualifying for the other three endurance rounds? What are your thoughts on the whole uh, sprint race after it happened? Um, what do we think? What, what, was this a success televisually, competitively? Um, I mean, it, the, the kind of comments I was seeing from teams, both publicly and privately, were this was a very expensive way to get a bit of TV time. Yeah. Uh, I do not recall hearing from any of those that I spoke with in the IMSA paddock who participated in the qualifying race that they can't wait for it to happen again next year. They, <laughs> well, I'm just speaking the yep. truth. Yeah, yeah. They don't determine whether it will happen again next year. To Kevin's question, I am only aware of this being a Roar Before the 24 production something designated to hopefully draw interest and get a little bit of television time to build for this weekend's race. I don't know what the rating happened to be. I haven't looked. I wouldn't expect it to be grand, but whatever. Um, I am a big fan of history and lap times and achievement, and 
I would rather see the hyper pole, hyper attack. Let's turn this into, oh my gosh, can you believe what they just did uh, type thing. I would rather see, what was it? It was 100 minutes. Um, I don't know if the math works out exactly, but knowing the lap times take between, you know, roughly a minute 33 and a minute 45, 46, 47. I would rather see a true single car, single lap qualifying type deal. And, you know, uh, however long that ended up being. If you're going to take the time to try and make a production, and the goal here is speed, fastest, and who starts all the way up front or in the middle or all the way in the back, then I should do a little bit of Indy 500 stuff type thing granted we're not going to do two warm-up laps and four qualifying laps and average it but hey out lap one flying lap that's it each entry Mm -hmm. and run it through all the classes individually and so and work backwards right from the final practice session leading into it so the slowest car in that session goes first and build a little bit of anticipation someone is going to continually be top in each class and we know if coming out of the lat, the previous session, uh, whichever car or manufacturer was fastest, then hopefully again you start to build some excitement of ooh we let's see, let's see if they can either jump back to the top which they just held or are they going to come up short? But it builds some drama as mm-hmm. you have the faster cars complete each class qualifying session. I think that'd be fascinating. I know that Daytona is a big track. The lap takes a little while, not super long, but hell, give that to me. I'd love to watch that. A qualifying race? I, I just don't know if that computes with most people. For those who just like competition and air quote racing, it did have all the pretty much all the cars, except for those who made up some excuses to not partake. Um mm-hmm. It did give you that, but it meant nothing. The racing meant nothing in terms of, oh, it's an amazing pass, or, oh, the, uh, cool, great, all forgettable, other than the thing that no one really digests, which is who qualified seventh in GTD. Like, all right, cool, great, you finished seventh, whatever. I don't give a fart. Um, I'd rather see in a session traditionally honored for excellence and speed Let's refocus it to the pursuit of excellence in speed. And let's just build some drama doing single lap per car and uh, see how everybody stacks up. That's my idea. It might be terrible, I, I but get, it's mine. I'm going to chuck an idea, and it's, it's, it's clearly a good one because I've only just thought of it, uh, which is it is endurance racing. And you're right. I think blinding speed is exactly what we want to see. But we want to see another thing as well, which is it is a team sport. It's a team sport on pit lane, and it's a team sport in the driver compartment with uh, the drivers. What about two laps, two flying laps, two drivers, including a driver stop and including a tire change? You come out, the time starts from the, uh, the start, the flying lap for the first driver. They come in after a cool down lap. It rolls down pit lane. There is a driver change, tire change. And away you go for your second flying lap. That second flying lap, by the way, in the Pro-Am classes is with the lowest rated driver in the car. The highest rated or whoever you choose and the lowest rated driver in the car. Two laps in one sprint format per car uh, 
taking into account the two best laps you can get from these two drivers and the time on pit road with the crew. That sounds way more complicated than my idea. <laughs> right, let's move on. Um, and we move into a whole range of uh, things. Brian Cohen asked about Joey Hand uh, and driver rankings, qualifying races, entertaining, interesting, uh, that wasn't popular, blah, blah. His question is, how does IMSA reconcile itself with the fact that driver rankings are keeping some of their star drivers at home? Joey Hand, he says, is getting screwed by the very industry he works in, by those who own the industry and those who operate the industry. And, you know, we could put into that uh, thing. Joey is uh, a good example of a driver that, that this system has not favored. But we are, aren't we, in a period of time where at the point where we've got fewer factory programs that we've had previously, that a number of drivers are sitting on the sidelines and doing very little. By the way, very pleased indeed, as I'm sure others are, to see finally confirm some of the names of the Glickenhaus, uh, Le Mans Hypercar uh, roster, including Richard Westbrook, uh, who's one of the guys that you could easily have put in the same vein as Joey Hand has been not in a position to pick up uh, professional paid employment uh, as GTLM ebbed away over the last couple of three years. And that, remember, let's not forget Richard, by the way, uh, part of a very rare breed who has been a factory driver for three different of, in fact, actually, now I think about it, four, because he's uh, been with Aston Martin briefly last year, the Ganassi Ford efforts, uh, Corvette and Porsche, an astonishing record, uh, but now we'll be coming back in hypercar. What do we say about Joey Hand and what do we say about the general um, uh, issue of driver rankings, in particular how well it serves uh, the top of the show? Forget for a moment the Silvers in a period where there's not been a lot of factory racing MP. Yeah, this is one of those moral doesn't compute items that it's a brick and mortar problem. It's in the foundation of how things are done. It's a flaw in the foundation. It's well known. It's been going on for a long time. And whether it's the Platinums can't find work or real silvers are being displaced in jobs they once had or had the year before by sneaky silvers, super silvers, fake silvers, pro drivers who've somehow either been downgraded or not upgraded to gold into the pro status. The driver ratings are keeping some, we're not talking about dozens but some of the bigger names more skilled more popular drivers from having employment in north america's biggest sports car series it's a thing it's a problem it is done by rule that's the weird thing it's not done on merit hi joey hand we just don't think you are as good as someone else and we're going to hire that person. Um, I think Joey and others would say, look, if I'm losing jobs to other platinum-rated drivers, okay, won't make me happy, but at least I know that uh, it's a merit. There's something based on that decision other other than my rating. The problem here is by rule and regulation, the majority of IMSA's classes 
put a pretty fine filter on who can drive and what. Obviously, in GTLM, wide open. Come, all, You can have all the Platinums you want. DPI, Platinums all you want. Well, what do we have in DPI, brother? We have a class that is smaller than it was last year. We have fewer opportunities, not a lot of turnover and opportunities. GTLM, already discussed that ad nauseum. Um, not a lot of opportunities. So what happens? The people, the Joey Hands of the world, who would love to race, LMP2, LMP3, GTD, either they can't by rule or uh, teams have already had someone, have someone in place, and to have Joey, they'd have to fire uh, the one they have a relationship with. So it's either the, boy, there aren't many of these slots and they're taken, or you just aren't allowed uh, based on your rating. And I think as one or more people have said after that, column you wonder about class action thoughts how many drivers would come together and say hi uh (laughs) there is no reason other than these artificial things you've come up with to keep me from having a job now of course there's no one stopping me from going and working uh, as a waiter at a restaurant or a truck driver or a chef or a what i understand all those things It's not as if I could not earn money doing something. But this is my chosen profession. I've demonstrated excellence in it. And because I've demonstrated excellence, you have hung a weight around my neck that is drowning me professionally. And I cannot earn an income now because of this. And you won't reconsider. So it's this moral thing where you go, geez, that doesn't sound right, does it? Um, And yet... It affects a small enough number to where there's no, to my knowledge, thoughts of let's see if we need to apply legal pressure to get this reconsidered. Um, And there's also not big enough numbers for this to be such a huge PR nightmare for any series that uses driver ratings and has their their version of Joey Hands um, to really take action. So it sucks. It has sucked for many years. It continues to. There's just no force majeure legally or embarrassment-wise for action to be taken. The best thing that I saw written by somebody, and I apologize, Graham, to close on this, uh, there's Uh someone who responded saying, you know, if in terms of platinum ratings, If a driver has a factory contract and is driving for a factory, then they should have a platinum rating because that's the highest level. And in sports car racing, factory programs are considered the highest level of participation. If a driver does not have a factory contract, like Joey Hand, they should no longer be platinums. It's very simple. The factory drivers, by and large, are the ones assigned to platinum. Well, if your program goes away and you don't have another factory program to follow it up with, but you are left with this rating that makes you really only available to those types of programs, or, again, select other classes where it's kind of a, as he mentioned, kind of a Hunger Games thing, trying to be the one that gets in and lives. Maybe you downgrade that to gold, and all of a sudden, no joke, Joey Hand's driving for 19 different teams this weekend in every single in every single series. It's... 
It's, I, mean, I do find the, the platinum gold thing one of the more extraordinary parts of this. And, you know, it's not the only debate. I mean, I, I, for me, a far more, you know, uh, far larger numerical problem is the, is the issue of silver. And it may be a tale I've told before, but let me explain just exactly what an effect this can have on a driver's career. And I go back some years to the RML LMP2 efforts in the Le Mans series. Um, uh, with Mike Newton uh, and a variety of LMP2 cars. And for a period of time, his two professional drivers were one Tommy Erdos um, and one uh, Ben Collins, uh, uh, famed for being uh, the Stig for some considerable time. And because of his fame and uh, the fortune that brought him, the opportunities that brought him in the career of precision driving, um, Ben Collins moved away from uh, racing for some little time to do work on Top Gear and actually uh, on the Bond movies as well uh, for a couple of years from racing, which meant he was away from racing, I think, for two full seasons, MP. Before that point, if you looked at the times that Ben and Tommy were able to put in in the LMP2 cars, they were pretty much identical, as you expect, with two pro cars in equal in the same machinery. Because at the end of that period, he had not earned his living um, for... Uh, a little wee while in motorsports, his capabilities were no different. He was still practicing as a professional driver. He came back as a silver. In that year, um, he got drives with Crone Racing in, from memory, uh, I think he had WC drive, he had an ELMS drive, he drove at Le Mans, he drove, I think, a selective IMSA program. In those two years, Thomas Erdos, as a gold-rated driver, raced once. Yeah. That's the effect that it can have on a driver's career. That is not what that's supposed to be about. It is long overdue a review uh, that needs to involve uh, the realities that uh, you you do need to take uh, note of the realities that the Pro-Am is very much different than it was many, many moons ago. But you equally well surely need to take a look into uh, the interests of those professional drivers. One final point on this. I hope and expect things are going to change dramatically in the new era of the top class. But that's terribly difficult when you have Joey Hand or insert name of other uh, amazingly talented driver. You've got two years to wait with very limited career opportunities. It needs a look. That's down to the FIA. That needs to be pressured by the organizing bodies and by, let's be blunt, the drivers need to get organized here. They do need to get organized. I'm not saying a driver's union, but there needs to be some kind of professional association where those drivers are represented in that debate. Uh, there are driver representatives at the FIA. Pretty clear that that's not being exercised to the point where it's making a difference. I agree. It is wrong that they should be counted up by ranking um, simply you know, because teams aren't able to employ them. Um, there are all sorts of ways and means around it. While I've been basically, while I've been listening to one of your answers, I've just been answering a question uh, uh, via email, asking the question, how is it for the Asia Le Mans series? Uh, insert name of team. I've got two gold-ranked drivers in the, in the car, in a GT car. The answer is because the 2021 Asia Le Mans series is not the 2021 Asia Le Mans series. It's the rescheduled 2020-2021 uh, Asia Le Mans series, which means that a driver's rankings from 2020 still apply next month. 
in that series. That's why one of those teams has got two guys in it that will be gold-ranked. The reality is the system, it's, it's creaking and it needs review. And it's been long enough now that it should have got that review at a time when we've not had pressure on the system through this delayed uh, season, that they should have taken the time with a bit of downtime to have done that. They've not done it, so I think they now need to be told to do it. There we go. That's that. We're not going to go through terribly much more on this. How how much longer have we got on the show, MP? That would be, eh, I mean, we have 25-ish minutes or so if we want to go that far. I think it's probably time, don't you think, to uh, get into predictions? Because Well, if you know, we're going to do that, then we need to see if we can add another voice. I'm trying to remember how to do this here. Uh, add people. Okay. This oh. person is definitely a person. Um, I don't know. I've met him. I'm not absolutely sure of that. Let's see if he chimes in, does something like that. Let's see if he answers. And this is where the show's going to go down. Oh, hang on. Do we hear something? I can hear a whole lot of nothing at the moment. Well, that might be how we describe this person. Um, (laughs) Sorry, I just love, you know, you got to stick the knife in. Hello? Is there somebody else on the line? I'm not hearing it. Oh, he's just a tragedy. No. Joey, there's an opportunity. Oh, Joey, we're trying to get um, you a job. We have one slot open for a platinum opiner and mouth flappist, and you didn't answer, dude. Um, Wow. Well, despite telling him uh, we'd be ringing around the stage of the show, we just got shut down by the man who puts our questions together, Daily Sports Car Racing's Ryan Kish. Wow, <laughs> we're so bad at this, Graham. Your underling refuses to participate. I would, I would, I would, I would did you say underpants? No, 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 it's no. No, the uh, the large Californian. I don't suppose he's been in That's, any way affected by Route 1 being washed out, has he? Is that me? You said large Californian? Or uh, are you refer? Oh, there, oh, there's two. He's a ginger. That's how we know the, the largeness uh, difference. All right, well, he's not here. So, uh, And he's the one who told us. Look. He wanted to do this. Nobody even thought to ask questions to predict. So I'm going to be the one... So here we go. By the way, we should mention, for those of you who are silly enough to still be listening, um, there are a couple of questions thrown in. Is this manufacturer coming to LMDH? Is this one not? And so on. Fire those back in next week. Please uh, do. We could get to them. And for those who sent in non-Rolex 24-related questions, uh, please send those in again, and they will turn into our normal kind of newsy related topical stuff say, um, by the way, not sure not sure yet when we'll record that show because uh my travel plans to dubai for the start of the asian Le Mans series are currently in preparation there we may go or may not may or may not involve a halo jump into foreign lands we'll wait, wait and see how that works well joey hand might get another chance to be on the show so that's a good <laughs> thing uh all right so i have said words a lot so far in the show 
I'm going to spin it around and say Graham Goodwin, a person who I know has not been able to dedicate his 100% focus hmm. on Roar and Rolex 24 activities, but has indeed uh, kept one and three quarters eye on what's happening in Daytona Beach, Florida. Tell us, DPI, to start, predictions. Who do well, you think is going to win? And are there any surprise entries you think are going to do things that are unexpected? Well, I think the first thing to say is, I mean, but the, a lot of the narrative leading up to the uh, Rolex 24 Hours and the IMSA season proper has been concern about the level numerical level of the dpi grid and that's been perfectly valid there are seven cars for the rolex 24 there's going to be six we believe for the full season the thought occurs to me marshall as i look down that entry list it is remarkable it is a remarkable collection of talent in those seven cars and as a marker of the quality of that list you've got to look to where the weak links are. And when you're looking for the weak links, potentially being Jimmy Johnson, um, you really are in a position where you, you do get an understanding of just how stacked that seven car grid is. What do I think? I think Cadillac looked good. Um, yeah, we can talk about sandbagging and Acura and blah, blah, blah. But the Cadillacs have always been very good. The Rolex 24, uh, there are some very good Cadillacs, uh, and amongst them, there are some astonishing driver lineups in those Cadillacs. But if you're asking me who I'm going to tip, <sighs> I just mentioned Jimmy Johnson. That Ali Cadillac, the 48 car, um, not really got a handle on how well Jimmy's doing in that car. But if you look at the other three drivers, Kamui Kobayashi, I think, by the way, at the moment, one of the quickest drivers in any form or anywhere on the planet right now and i'm right am i right that kamui is on a triple he's won the last two chasing hasn't he? a triple i'd be perfectly uh in agreement saying he is the best driver at that event and yep. i'm not saying best driver in every discipline knowing that there's drivers from all kinds of racing series there but at that event um yep. You know, we get to another race. Am I going to say that, you know, yeah, yeah. if we go to Long Beach, am I going to put him in front of, you know, maybe a Scott Dixon or someone else? Probably not. But I'm just saying at this event that draws upon his vast endurance racing experience. I don't know if there's a better guy there. Okay. So we the, the, the move on to the uh, neatly named Frenchman, Simon Page Nord, I think his name is. Um, Spaganode. That's, that's, Spaganode. I won't Spaganode. give you the rest of his email address, but it's Espagano, <laughs> which I always tell him, dude, I just love it because you've chosen a really unique email address of Spaganode <laughs> at such and such dot com. Like, yeah, that's a little, uh, the, little weird, dude. Mike Rockefeller, that, that is a hell of a crew, I, I have to say. That, I think could be, well, I can't really call any of them a dark horse, can you? I'm going to go for that being a team that I expect to show well in the race, but possibly not win it. Um, the Ganassi team. Yeah, that's my pick too for the yeah, dark Renger, horse. Yeah, Renger, uh, I think, feels he's got something to prove. 
uh, moved across to the uh, Chip Ganassi Racing Team. Kevin Magnussen, I think, is going to be interesting to watch across this discipline. Scott Dixon, just ridiculously quick in everything at all times ever, uh, anywhere. Um, I'm going to go for that car. I'm going to go for the Zero One car for the win. And by the way, we're not doing my predictions because mine are always bad. Uh, so we're going to go with Graham's. So why don't we do the let's stick with the pro classes um and instead of just going down the rest of the prototypes let's go to gtlm the only other all pro category in the event well there's a certain bmw brand graham that has done mighty fine there uh they were smacked with the biggest bop change though of anyone uh, leading into the race, they got themselves some kilos, I think 20 kilos, like not a joke. <laughs> they got themselves some poundage. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think of the six entries? Well, okay. Uh, in, in no particular order, let's go for, as we get Ryan Kish popping up, um, on my, instead of just joining in. Yeah. Oh, should I join the call? He's just texted. But I'll, I'll talk while you deal. The WeatherTech Racing Porsche, um, no doubt the weak link there has got to be the non-professional driver. That is Cooper McNeil. My guess is he won't he'll be doing the bare minimum there. And certainly the combination of Bruni, Est, and uh, Ricard Leitz, as well as Cooper McNeil, that's a very strong car indeed and looks to be getting stronger through the week. I don't think you can count that out depending on how much time Cooper McNeil loses to the pro cars. Rizzi Competizioni, I think, a bit of a fan favourite there, and again, a pretty faultless crew there. James Collado, Jules Gounon, Alessandro Pierre Guidi, Davide Rigon, uh, two world championship drivers in Collado and Pierre Guidi. I think that looks pretty good. Uh, BMW, two very good crews on a triple um, for the win for BMW, and their luck has got to break sometime at this race and i think that's going to be here uh because i think the pace the politics the preparation corvette racing i think will take it and i rather think that the number four car might have its year the sparkling talent of nick tandy has been pretty awesome through the prep for this one alexander sims is the quiet man there but he's absolutely unbelievably quick in everything he turns a, 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 a lap in and Tommy Milner has just been just an iron man there for me the number four Corvette racing C8R I think is my pick for the 2021 Rolex 24 have we got Mr. Kish online yet we do and just want to say hey. well let's hear his voice first to confirm hello he's the, there is the right hey. all right is well this, is perfect this microphone yes this and so microphone. want to say awesome and we greatly appreciate you joining the show Thanks, everybody, for listening, for uh, sticking in here and getting through all the previews. Uh, and, Amazing. Ryan, we appreciate getting in as we say farewell. Okay. Just kidding. Uh, we only got two of the uh, five classes done. Well, let's, um, well let's, let's, let's ask Ryan really quickly. Come on, Ryan, your pick for the overall win. The, uh, the Okay, overall? Yeah. You sound confused uh, by that concept. does. Well, uh, there was thoughts about maybe an LMP3 winning overall. I had that. No, no, no. This isn't the time to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> this is. I'll tell you when that time is. Not now. Uh, so hope, DPI, seven cars, which we think. The uh, I'm going with a 31 wheel and engineering Cadillac. Ooh. 
Ooh. Why? So another I think there's been a lot of changes elsewhere. Wayne Taylor Racing, of course, this will be their, they're going for their third win in a row, if I'm correct in saying. But new car with the Acura. Meyershank Racing, good GTD operation, but first prototype race. The Cadillac Chip Ganassi program is new. The 48 Cadillac with Jimmy Johnson and that star-studded lineup is new. Shank won the only thing that's the same. the Rolex 24 before in prototypes. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 I know that, but I mean, wasn't the just only a GDT really GD team. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not as old as you, Marshall. Oh, good this grief. This was in the oh, 2010s. <laughs> this was like nine years ago. <laughs> I was like 50% of my life ago. Uh, there you go. That's a depressing thought. That's so you're going to go. You're 70. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to go for the 31 car to to play catch up. Therefore, Mr. Kish, what about GTLM and the fine six car grid we've got there? We've got the two uh, Chevys, we've got the two BMWs, we've got the Rizzi Competizione Ferrari and the WeatherTech uh, Racing Proton Competition Porsche. Which are you going to go for? Uh, this is really a, a pick of which Corvette do you want? And you might as well flip a coin. Well, that's a fascinating prediction. Jesus he's, I'll tell you what, he's, he's, he's diamond. It's, it's, it's a diamond in the rough, but diamond on the left. Shining bright like a diamond. You are the weekend sports cars, Rihanna, Ryan Kish. Don't let anyone tell you differently. Um, okay. I, so which, as well, which I, one are you going to go for? I said on. on the words before you joined on the show that I did the majority of the talking. So I just want you and Graham to close the show with your remaining predictions because they're just amusing the crap out of me. Uh, right. So what are we going to go for next? We're going to go for LMP2? Sure. So what have we got there? One, two, three, four, five, six, ten cars, isn't it, there? Um, anything that you particularly fancy amongst that little lot? I, I, I really like kind of all of them, to be honest with you. I was very impressed with uh, Settler Racing and Racing Team Netherlands in the Roar. I think they showed a lot of speed. Hard to skip past PR1, the sort of LMP2 stalwarts, Ben Keating, always very strong in LMP2. Dragon Speed going for another repeat win. It's a pretty strong class. Yeah, I agree. We know that uh, part. I, so give us the damn prediction. Uh, <laughs> I'll go with the PR1. 52. You're going to go for PR1, the 52 car, Scott, Scott Huffaker, uh, Mikkel Jensen, Ben Keating, and Nico Lapierre. I think you're right. I think that is a pretty strong lineup. You're wrong. It won't be the winning car, uh, because I'll tell you what that will be uh, just shortly. Don't forget either Dragon Speed. They're big winners at this race as well. Two years in a row. Uh, absolutely. But I don't think they're going to do the triple. And neither do I think we're going to see the Ligier uh, do it. Settler, I've, I agree with you. I think that car has been impressive at Daytona. It's been interesting to see and hear that uh, Roberto Lacorte talking about potentially maybe coming back and doing a bit more. We've already seen United Autosports today confirm they'll be at Sebring with a single car. For me, I think on pace, it's between two cars, uh, both Oricas, the number 20 car, the high-class racing car. Dennis Anderson has been pretty impressive and is coming on pretty strong as a bronze driver and as fjord back. Ferdinand Hadsberg uh, looking good. Robert Kubica, uh, Polish ex-Formula 1 driver in that 20 car and high-class looking good. But I think it might be one for the Dutchies. Fritz van Erd, 
Dieter van der Gaard, Charles Malaisi, and Job van Utrecht. I think it could be the 29 car. The jumbo car could, could win it all. Could win it all. You're both wrong. It's Interpol, Europol, Eurasia, Inter. They're going to win. Competition. Competition. Yes. Competizione as well. Yeah, absolutely. So that's that. We then move on effortlessly, MP, to everybody's favorites, LMP3. It is um, the clown car of the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship opener at Rolex 24. Will they win? Will they lose? Will they finish? Will they start? And we're going to go with Ryan Kish's pick first for LMP3. There are two cars, maybe three, that I really like uh, in this grid. One of them is the 54 Core Autosport Ligier. Yep. The other one is the 91 Riley Motorsports Ligier. And then a surprise out of the roar, the six Molnar Motorsports Duquesne. I yep. think those are probably the three strongest. I would go with the 91 Riley to win it. A lot of experience yep. uh, in IMSA Prototype Challenge from that team. Riley Motorsports, of course, a, a strong operation, well run, good group of guys there. I think they could survive uh, the mayhem. Jerome Bleekamolen, very experienced driver. Dylan Murray, very talented. I think it's the 91 Riley. Uh, I, I'm not going to disagree with you. I think it's between the 91 and the 54. I'm not necessarily just based on the crew, and they've both got very good uh, driver crews aboard that car. I think over the full length of race uh, of the two cars available, the Ligier is probably going to be the better one. But I'm going to go with Core Autosports, and I think it's marginal. And the reason I'm going to go for Core Autosports is because I think this is going to be a battle in the pits. And the very fact you've got Riley Motorsports who are extremely talented, Core Autosports with uh, exceptional amount of top-level experience, I just think in the Battle of the Pit Crews, I think it could be Core that bring that one home. So I'm going to go for the 54. You're going to go for the 91. Which leaves us, Marshall Pruitt, with just one class to consider. And it's the biggest class. It's GT Duh. You're both wrong, by the way. Mjolnir Motorsports America for the win. Okay, in the, fair enough. In the uh, Dookie M30 D08, so <laughs> deal with it. By the way, you're, Brian's perfectly correct, by the way. They have been in sparkling form in terms of the pace through this, and you know, with a couple of drivers putting in very good. Lawrence Hur, I think, has put a marker down to say, hello, I'm here, uh, give us a call. I'm uh, open to offers for the remainder of the season. Uh, GTD uh, and a big class there with, uh, what, what is it, six manufacturers? Lamborghini, Porsche, Lexus, uh, Ferrari, Aston Martin, Mercedes-MG, uh, Audi, Acura, that's seven. Uh, we've got one heck of a class there. Who's caught... Well, I'm going to ask you first at this time, MP. Who's caught your eye through the... Uh, I would say the gear racing Lamborghini. <laughs> so fast... <laughs> I mean, it was like <laughs> blinking. It's gone almost. So yeah, it literally has. Oh uh, well, if we're talking true eye catching, I am loving the livery and also pretty solid at times. Demonstrations of speed with the number ninety seven TF mm-hmm. Sport 
Astin Martin Vantage GT3. I, yeah, boy, that car's pretty. It's going to look like poop and be all beaten up at the end of the race. But just in terms of vehicles that I like looking at, caught my eye and hope that it does well. Because, hey, TF Sport, I don't know them, but they're good people and they did excellent stuff in YURRUP Europe uh, last season. I'd be happy there. Turner Motorsport, though. They are the all-time, if you aren't rooting for them first and foremost, um, leave this earth because you don't belong here because you don't have a heart. Uh, I, I, I tend to, I think you're right. I mean, TF Sport, I think, will go well. My concern there is I remain to be convinced about the wisdom of Ben Keating trying to do double duty. Uh, he was amazing, absolutely amazing last year in LMP2 but his form fell off pretty dramatically thereafter. Um, I also like the look of the Turner BMW, and that's that's always been there and thereabouts. It's kind of, you know, ne- never a dark horse, but always seems to kind of rise uh, up the order. I think there's a number of other cars that, kind of, that, that warrant a bit of attention. You can't overlook as well here. The Lamborghinis have always gone very well. GRT, a very good operation. And I'm looking at the triple one car there with uh, Mirko Bortolotti, Rolf Eichen, Marco Mapelli, and Stein Schotthorst, uh, who is the, one of the silver drivers there. Very rapid indeed. If they can get a reasonably trouble-free run, I think the 1-1-1 Lamborghini could be putting another hurricane at the top of the pile. What do you say, Ryan Kish? Well, I'm going to keep on the Lamborghini theme, and I'm also going to keep on the one theme, because I really like the Paul Miller Racing number one Lamborghini Huracan, Cellar, Snow, Caldarelli, and Lewis. That's a nice-looking lineup with a strong team. Uh, My other option, also in the single digits, the number nine FAF Motorsports Porsche, Robichon, Lawrence Vanthor, Lars Kern, and Matt Campbell. Another yep. strong lineup there. I think but, I agree. It's a, it could be one heck of a race in GTD with yeah. I mean, so much factory level talent, and that's actual factory drivers and guys uh, and girls for that matter who probably should be factory drivers. And um, it does, doesn't it? MP give us a little bit of a taster for what might be to come next season with GTD Pro. Look at the speed of those cars, uh, the consistency of those cars, and what might be there on tap with you know a, a class still to be fully formed you know we know this conversation is now going ahead about how you make that work who's coming etc cetera, etc cetera. there will be i'm sure news emerging in the next weeks and months but uh, encouraging that we're seeing that class back to a pretty healthy level for this first race of the season before we get into the long haul of the IMSA season ahead overall mp what are you expecting you expecting we're going to get a race uh, of pace or a race of attrition or a little bit of both? Yes. It's always both. Uh, <laughs> it's always both. It's just always. Uh, 24 hours, It the numbers, the odds tell us it would be nearly, I mean, it'd be yet again a miracle if we had very limited attrition. just doesn't happen mm-hmm. to play out that way, especially when you have five classes, three of them pro-am, Oh, yeah. So two other quick things, just because, you know, I'm late in mentioning how much this perturbs me. So first time entrant in the WeatherTech Championship in GTD, Ted Giovannis, right? Love Ted. Super guy. 
coming up, also competing in the Michelin Pilot Challenge, but stepping up for the first time, first Rolex 24, first everything there. Ted Giovannis Motorsports. Call themselves Team TGM. Then at the bottom of the entry list, we have the rather bizarre word and acronym convention of GRT Grasser Racing Team. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. GRT that, just stands for Grasser yeah. Racing Team. So to call yourself in the formal entry name, to start off with your acronym, and then just spell out the words of the acronym, it's a little bizarre to me. Um, so I give Team TGM a pass. Team Ted yep. Giovannis Motorsports, I get it. Grasser, uh, GRT, Grasser Racing Team, that just feels like there's some sort of stop and 60 penalty that should be waiting for them. Shouldn't they be sponsored by Frosties? I have no idea. Because they're great. No, that's the name of Toyota's new hypercar. Confused. Guardians of the Galaxy. I am Groot. You are you, you are also drunk. Um, <laughs> Ryan are Kish, we both done? I think. I mean, we should be. I mean, this I, is just I have, been a tragedy. If, if we have time, I have a question oh I would God. like to pose to you two. Oh, oh, yes, on. we love you. Yes, we're just yeah, kidding. Yes, I give you a hard time because you're the young yeah. junior <laughs> member, and that's what I'm supposed to do. But nothing personal. Yeah. I love you. I used to beat up Kilby yeah. when he was on the show. But no, we love you, and everything's okay. Like, provided okay, that was your so question i want to know what position in the overall rankings does right. the winner of lmp3 finish well you missed that part of uh the preview or the discussion seconds. oh did we already do that well you weren't here yeah um huh. but yeah um yeah, 40 seconds yeah i have a s- firm belief that there will be zero finishers in lmp3 with the proviso of I'm not counting those who break and then spend a lot of time repairing the thing and trot it back out to take the checkered flag five minutes before the end of the race. Those yeah. I, that I, Technically, it's finishing, but meh, not really. Actual cars that compete complete the majority of the 24-hour race, uh, I don't think they're going to be any in LMP3. Therefore... Uh, it's hard to say the exact number because we expect some to be taken out by crashes and other classes and other failures, but I will be very surprised if all LMP3s uh, are not packed somewhere below 30th finishing position down to 49th. Yeah. I, I, I tend to agree. I think it's you, you nailed it, MP, when you said it's it's really unfortunate that their debut in IMSA, where the Tech Sports Car Championship comes at this race, 24 hours ahead of them, that's pretty daunting stuff. And I strongly suspect that most of those teams have had to budget for a second LMP3 car, and after Sebring, maybe a third. Um, but the I think the reality is this is a hell of a hill to climb for LMP3. So sadly, uh, because I know you're a massive LMP3 fan, uh, Ryan, and is it glued to the IMSA prototype challenge? Yeah. What says time. you? What, where Where is that? Top finisher, what, what position, Ryan? Now I don't feel very good about my pick. No, throw it out there, because you're either going to be <laughs> the smartest of all of us, and then we're going to have to fire ourselves, and I'm going to have to redo the, the show logos with you on it, because Graham and I won't be long. <laughs> so throw it out there, man, because if you get it right, you're effectively firing us old codgers who know nothing. I was going to say 19th. Wow, look Ooh. at that. Step up. 
Step it up. Well, okay. I'm going to pick one more question to finish the show, gentlemen, before we say goodnight. Uh, we're going to ask, actually, this is one we can ask Ryan just to complete the show. Ryan, in the Kish household, do you have pets? No. Right. Oh, in which case, you're out of it. Yeah. Good stuff. There you go. Yeah. Even That's if you get, reason. even if you're right on LMP3 and we are forced to retire, there's yeah. one still, prerequisite to be a part of the show. Still, You've got to have a got pet. The pets. Right, so we're going to finish the show with a question from Eric Hartgrader. Second try, he says, you peck-sniffing cads. Nice one. Always like a uh, period, uh, period drama-based uh, insult. MP, for Rocky and Rosie, who is the boss of the house? Where do you come down on catnip regulation? So it's Rosie. That's okay. been established from the outset. She runs Rocky's ass ragged. He's a couple years older. He's obviously a male larger in frame and whatnot bigger cat not by a lot but you would never know it she wears his ass out it is the funniest thing chases him everywhere tackles him whatever um as for catnip uh friend long time racing guy some of you may know dean case aka space case who was PR man at Mazda Motorsports for a long time, Nissan before that. He was Ford's Trans Am program manager in the wow. for a stretch in the 1990s. Well, his, I don't know if she's a wife, girlfriend, lady, whatever it is, their big cat, dog, rescue, shelter, donate, not donate, rescue uh, pet type people. Well, she also apparently makes homegrown catnip. And so, wow. yes, oh, we're That's ending the show. Episode. Oh, we're ending the show <laughs> in the most obscure place it's ever been. Thanks for listening, by the way. This isn't a Rolex 24 preview answer. Um, he sends me a, a DM and says, hey, would you like some her herbal organic catnip? And I'm like, I wasn't aware that there was like synthetic, you know, is is there like CBD catnip or something? I don't know. Um, and I'm like, yeah, sure. So he said, well, give me your address. So sends them up. They're in Southern California. They arrive. And by the way, Ryan, I know this is why you tuned in. So I'm glad we finally are getting you the content you asked for here. Um, sends it up and open up the little thing. Before I open up the whatever package it came in, the cats are on high alert like like cocaine addicts just knowing there's a white powdery substance in one of the packages that arrived. Their eyes are like dilated to the max. Yes. Open it up and there's catnip in these things that she has made. And this is all nice and positive. There's nothing negative at all here. The thing that's most unique is the catnip has been placed and sewn inside they look like little bean bags, little, I don't know how to describe them, but she apparently uses um, saved or found or whatever, like couch upholstery, cushion right. upholstery, something that might have come from the 70s or 80s, it looks like. Um, so rather than throwing away the things that your butts sat on for a long time, I guess she washes them, cuts them, and sews the catnip into them. And okay. it's unique because when I think catnip, I don't think, hey, that's like a small fluffy pillow, but it's got cat amphetamines inside of it. So nonetheless, 
uh, <laughs> took two of them out. There are two currently on the floor right now, and uh, they dose whenever we let them, and it is hilarious. Rosie, coming back to close, she does this bizarre thing where she lays on her side, clutches it with her front paws, and then licks the thing until yep. it is like it has been dunked in water. Like, she goes insane with that. Rocky walks over, and maybe this is some sort of male dominance thing. He walks over and squats down and sits on it, but kind of towards the rear of his body where his little boy parts are. I don't know what that means, but he does it. And it looks really strange. And my wife and I look at him like, uh, well, do you guys want yeah. some time alone? What's going on here? I'm not touching that. Um and then they fight with them and play with them and throw them around, and it's actually kind of funny. So, yeah, catnip, yes, we have some highly medicated cats, but we've had to lock them away. Not the cats, the catnip, because they were getting to be a little bit too woozy. So, well, um, there you go. So, just, just, just point out, by the way, we've taken longer to go through catnip regulation than we did through LMP3 for this, the Rolex 24 preview. I'm going to deservedly uh, so. With- Absolutely. Asking about Delhi Sports Husky, Oscar, favorite game to play in the yard. I uh, should say, first and foremost, in charge in our house, because we have obviously DSC Dog. We've also got DSC Cats, lest we forget. Tango are now more than middle-aged ginger and white cats. And her stunt double, Bear, another ginger and white cat. Uh, who's in charge? Tango. DSC Cat is very much in charge. Uh, apart from one day, the day that Oscar arrived, where he chased her was punished for it, and since then she has never let him forget it. So she's in charge. Uh, as for his favourite game, his favourite game is pretty simple. It's eating anything and everything that comes in his path. Uh, uh, games, does he like uh, travelling in the car? Loves going in the car. Loves it because he knows at the end of the day there's going to be a walk at the end of that, or possibly food, or possibly both. Uh, he is a 30-kilo bundle of absolute joy uh, is oscar the husky uh, but it is the cat the oldest cat and by far the tiniest animal in our house that is firmly in charge not only of the very aggressive dsc cat uh, stunt double but also the uh, she's about as big as his head uh, she's the boss of the dog as well as well she should be and yes they're equally hilarious on the catnip front that's it no it's not it we the... got one more question have we yes Ryan, why don't you have any pets? What kind of hate lives in your heart? <laughs> um, I'm guessing allergies. Allergies. Oh, come on. Allergies. You yeah. you wouldn't allergies. He does suffer, suffer from allergies. You wouldn't suffer for companionship from a pet. All pets? That can't be all I, pets. I I had a um I had a beta fish. Those little uh, fish that you put in like a bowl. Yeah, yeah. Um, and compared then we, we to the, a compared bucket? To other fish that you other fish that you you let roam throughout the house. Um, yeah. And then we had to move, and we gave it away to one of our friends. And then, like four years later, my mom just like told me randomly one day that the fish had died, and that was the last pet I had. And that was about ten years ago. This is the saddest freaking end to this show we have ever had. I am crushed. (laughs) I am 
I, I need to go lick some catnip to self-medicate. What okay. the hell is... Go- it's, 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 it's Ryan's dead fish closes the show. Hashtag. <laughs> so, hashtag me personally. Oh, my God, oh, Kish. What dear, are you mate. doing? Uh, uh, right, he just well, brought us let's, down. Let's... Let's 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 end this now before it gets even sadder. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on the weekend sports car. Uh, brought to you as always by Cats. Cooper Tires. Cooper Tires. Deadfish. By, <laughs> by the Justice Brothers and by Toronto Motorsport dot com. Please, if you have any unwanted pets, we'll give you Ryan's contact details. I'm sure we'll love it. But this time next week, he'll be there with an animal shelter in the backyard. Uh, trust me. Um, Thank you very much indeed, by the way, to Ryan Kish. We take the mickey, but thanks, Ryan, for all you do every week to help us out in bringing the show together. And thanks for your contribution uh, here. We do uh, love you. We, we give you hell because, you know, come on, we got to. You, you know you can give it back, right? Like, that's the uh, thing. You're not supposed to just take I mean, it. Yeah. Uh, no, I can't. No, we can't. No. I'll, um, I'll, I'll give it back when we see an LMP3 car in P19. You're going to be running the show next hours. week. Again, this is, Graham, yep. we should say farewell. Thanks to everyone who's listened. We started this thing at right after the Rolex 24 and what? Was it 2018? Um, 28. Timely yep. farewell. We're done. Ryan's the boss next week. <laughs> you watch first yellow and it stays out and leads the race you watch <laughs> he's going to be miserable over the event isn't he oh, oh we're going to be getting texts and uh, <laughs> telegrams oh man P- delivery people are going to be knocking on the door hey kiss just wanted you to know top p3 car right now p9 jackass oh, oh, i, I will brutal. be spearheading the lmp3 train the lmp3 fan club i will be the the number one lmp3 fan if i see the if i see the phrase lmp3h on daily sports car you're fired right um actually lead off the race recap with it right so there you go good luck with that uh so thanks again to ryan kish the uh dead fish morning um pet hating ryan uh, california uh, Ryan JSP320 Kish. That yes. is his actual full name, <laughs> by the way. Middle name Nismo. Yes. Um, uh, and thanks also to Marshall Pruitt. And thanks particularly, Marshall. Some cracking stuff, oh, the in-depth interviews with the factory guys through it. the last week. I know. I just can't help myself. Uh, he's been Ryan Kish. He's been Marshall Pruitt. I've been Graham Goodwin. We'll say a final thank you because you probably forgot we said thank you earlier to Cooper Tyres, to Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsport.com. That has been this week's Week in Sports Cars podcast. Next week, either from the UK, from me, or on the way to Dubai, or in Dubai, who knows? We'll find out at some point, but I can guarantee you we're going and it's going to happen. That's it for this week. We'll speak to you next week. <laughs> <laughs>